Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that simply everything has its own history, like measles, frogs and leopards. Or, true Christmas spirit, holly jolly and iced lolly. Or snow doe and row. That, that <laughs> last one doesn't, doesn't quite work. But, however, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of blood, writing about at the moment, is all about political rhetoric, anti-Semitic propaganda and the American Red Cross. It's mm. all about World War II. Or that the history of carrots, <laughs> also about World War II, it's about night vision, victory, alternatives to ice cream... Mm, nothing tastes quite like, <laughs> like a, a carrot. carrot on a stick. <laughs> oh, That's very good. Um, the man sitting opposite me is the Time Lord himself. It's the Doctor Who, Doctor What, Doctor When and Doctor Why oh. all rolled into one. What do you think of that? I love it. Yeah, thank you very much. Christmas uh, special. Professor extraordinaire of early modern British history at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello. Hello, Sam. And I feel really mean with this. I've got... Um, um, and the man sitting opposite me is the Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> of Christmas past himself. <laughs> it's the famous <laughs> historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. I guess fair enough. I am quite miserable most of the time. You have you have quite a love-hate relationship with Christmas, don't you? <laughs> and with myself. And with myself. <laughs> Which is, I think, uh, comes out a lot uh, at Christmas. I do have a love-hate Christmas uh, relationship with Christmas. Christmas, um, which I'm going to be talking a little bit about. As Are well. you ready for Christmas this year? How do you measure being ready? How do I measure being oh, in all manner of ways? <laughs> in all manner of ways, is your is your turkey all primed? Have you pre-cooked stuff? Have you pre-wrapped presents already? All have you bought things? Okay. All those kinds of things. Food and gift based. Well, it could be food and gift based, or is, is your heart prepared for <laughs> that's more like the, it. the family yeah. festivities that will ensue? The history of heart preparation. Yes. We should do that. This year, I was so, so well prepared in advance that in September, I went to my local butcher and said, can I order a turkey? And he said, uh, sir, I'm afraid you're two months too early. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, so we're doing a Christmas special, aren't we? We did one last year. I very much enjoyed doing before. it. And yes, the year before. There's um, lots of crazy things that you can that happen at Christmas that we can talk about. What left do we have to say about Christmas oh, after two episodes? I've got a great deal. I have a great deal. Yeah. I um, think we may have to split this into two. Okay, well, let's make this a two-parter. Christmas special number one. This is probably the Christmas Eve special. The, Christ Ooh, the Christmas, Christmas Eve, Eve podcast. Christmas Eve is very good. Something like that. Yes, um, very good. In terms of there being two, that's all. And we yes. should do three. We should do three in a row, shouldn't we, really? Do yes, and we're going to do family and friends. Ah, yes. Um, so we are extras. It's a, this is a dedicated Christmas special, which is so long, I think it's going to be split into two. And then we're doing family and friends as well. So we're doing a yes. trio of Christmas themes, which I'm particularly excited about. Yes. The Christmas ones really got me thinking, though, because we wrote our big book, Histories of the Unexpected. Then we're doing our four smaller ones, the yes. Romans, the Tudors, World War II and the Vikings. And it's extraordinary how often Christmas comes up when you tackle yeah, a theme, whatever it might be, or a period afresh. It is something that is so obviously shared across time and across people and impacts on people's lives so much that it's, it's very visible in the historical record. And that means that we can cover it from all sorts of interesting and different angles because people wrote about it in different ways. Yeah, and World War Two we're doing at the moment. Yeah, and you know, in a, a period of rationing, yeah, privations, Christmas was something very different. You know, approached very differently with people people apart. Think about World War One and Christmas on the yeah. on the front. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Christmas Actually, is all I, about carrots. I was um, 
I'm doing some uh, filming and recording with my mate Jim Causley. Hello, Jim. You're listening. Uh, Hello, Jim. The weekend. Who's doing a live tour called the Causley Christmas? Yes. And you don't know about this, but he he's basically. Um, so I'm assuming you don't know about this, but he's found loads of extraordinary old folk songs, basically like pre-carols is the only way I can describe them. Pre-Christmas mm. carols, and it's the first the first time Father Christmas is mentioned in song, and he's called Sir Christmas. Sir Christmas, which is really good. So anyway, that I can't remember why I got. Where, where that, could people go and see him? All over the place. I'm seeing at Cheriton Fitzpain on on uh, Saturday, uh, but I don't know when this Excellent. podcast is coming out, so I'm not sure that's going to no, no, work. No, 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 no. I'm seeing him in the New Year. Oh. Uh, he's coming to somewhere Star Cross or somewhere around there in that's the New right. Year. Um, so anyway, I've just become particularly excited about how Christmas appears in song at the moment, and how musicians have. Related to Christmas in the past. Excellent. It's all to do with wassailing and joining in. It's a real yes. joining in theme with Christmas. Christmas carols. It is Christmas carols, and a lot of the a lot of the early Christmas songs were. Um, it's all to do with wassailing, which is which is heating up cider and marching around and singing. And we talked about wassailing a bit before, Dude. but it's um, um, kind of a pagan ritual that goes back to the dark times of years to do with darkness. Um, one of the key things about wassails is that they have an easy refrain, a bit like a sea shanty. So they're deliberately designed for people to sing along to. And you can see that reflected in a lot of carols as we know them. Mm. Um, whether it's O Come All You Faith or whatever, they're very well-known songs and they are easy to sing along to by definition. Yeah. Um, so there's part of the hymn in them, but there's part of this very ancient tradition of, of essentially joining in and having a shout. Um, there's one called the Jacob Stowe Wassail, which I've been listening to, where the chorus is basically, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so there aren't even any words. Um, but you can see people... It's the kind of wassail that I could join in. Yeah, yeah, me too. Angelic voice that I have. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if everyone's interested, just Google a Causely Christmas and have a look at that. So anyway, we've just touched on joining in, which we weren't expecting to do. Do you want no. to start, James? I don't mind. I mean, one of the things I was I was musing about was how Christmas has changed across the centuries as well. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, fascinating the, the way in which Christmas has adapt, was adapted by the Victorians and you have a very sort of family-centred Christmas. And then in by the 20th century, Christmas moves sort of more towards children. So children become the focus of, of Christmas. That's interesting. But very much in a... I mean, I suppose the Christ child was always the focus of, of Christmas, but it, but it became a, more of a sort of commercial driven feast that was aimed at providing things for children. Yeah. Um, if you think about the changes over the last few years, you think about Christmas cards and the way in which charities basically have a monopoly over Christmas cards nowadays. Think about the way in which people are covering their houses increasingly with loads and loads of lights mm. in competition, which is something that I think has been imported from the US, mm. you know, that, that kind of tradition. Do you reckon Edison covered his house in, in lights? <laughs> <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine he did. did I, 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 may, I may have mentioned this in previous years, but when I lived in the US, I lived in a little town, little university college town called Mount Pleasant, and there was a man called Mr. Sheehan who lived on a corner. Sheehan was his name, right. but he had a, he had a corner plot and it was gated all around, so there was fencing all around. And at Christmas, like about a month before Christmas, and two weeks afterwards, he would just coat the entire house in light bulbs yeah. and would have all kinds of things. You know, there'd be a sort of Santa house, there'd be sleigh. I mean, literally, it was like, it was probably like an acre plot 
yeah. of his private house. He would sit in his summer house, which was a kind of winter house, and as people would wander into his garden, he would come out and give you a candy cane. Really? Apologies if I've told you that before. I don't think um, you have. But it is quite extraordinary. It's got to be linked to the whole history of having rubbish and stuff in your garden like gnomes. Yes. Surely, doesn't it? Yes, I, I imagine They're so. They're like giant kind of Christmas gnomes. But I think it, for him, for him, it's about being, you know, it's about being Mr. Christmas. Be It's part of community. It's giving something to for people to go and and see. It's part of, it's, it's you being an important person in the community and being... You know, a focal point of Christmas visibility, isn't it? Yes. So, so, so you yes. might have this guy who's who's a bit of a quiet hermit for the rest of the year, and this gives himself a chance, literally, just to shine. Yeah. One, he he switched on the, the town Christmas lights one year. Wow. But this was a town that also got me on the radio as a Brit. Yeah. When I first moved over there, and got me to do the advert for their downtown Christmas special. Right. In a sort of Dickensian way. If there was a city that you could turn the Christmas lights on for, James, what would it be? Somewhere very small. It wouldn't be a city. It would be a, like a little village, hmm. and you know, I could, you know, turn it on and then go to the pub for a nice meal and a pint. Up on the moor somewhere. Something up on the moor somewhere, yeah, or yeah. you know, I think that would be much more pleasurable. So, um, where do we start? Um, well, let's just go back before, quickly because it's really important. What you just said is that yes. Christmas has changed. So, so the interesting thing about it, as we see it, is that Christmas is is a solid thing in our lives that we come back to once a year, and it's always there. And family have their traditions. Yes. Everyone has their own traditions, and those traditions tend to stay. And it's actually, for many people, it's all about doing the same thing again and again. It's about and again. ritual, isn't it's it? It's ritual. It yep. certainly is with my kids. And so it's, it's, it's ironic, or it's certainly surprising, or in fact unexpected, but the that actually it has changed. And even if you've got people trying to do the same thing again and again and again, the way humans work with ritual is that they do alter them, they do change it, and that means that Christmas does change, and I think it's massively become fragmented. Yes. It's an interesting point, but I, I'm assuming, this might be wrong, I'm assuming that in the past, in like the 1850s, I'm going to guess, okay, 1850s. there was quite a kind of a structured way of how you did Christmas, which I don't think applies now. No, uh, no, it would, it, would, it would be different. Yeah. yeah. It is more fractured, it's more, people have yep. got their own, their own taste in it, and that's, um, yep. I, I do not know or understand the, the reason for that, but it's... Christmas changes, and that's the whole yep. point about it, I think, now. Well, yep, yep. One of the things we're trying to do this year is to develop our own family traditions. In previous years, we've gone off to other people's houses, going to visit parents. And for this year, we've put our foot down and said, it's going to be the four of us at home, yeah. and we are going to establish our own Christmas. But my wife and I both bring different Christmas traditions, things that are that we grew up with yeah. and that are sort of heartfelt and important. And so in some ways what we're doing is we're importing both those and and having a slight um negotiation about <laughs> you know about whether you're allowed bags and sacks under the christmas tree or not or whether you tastefully put presents under my wife is amazing at wrapping christmas presents you have never seen such elaborate christmas presents mm. so we go with that but we're trying to sort of establish our own traditions one of which is to go to the bridge inn at Topsham yeah christmas christmas day Carols and a drink, yep. which is superb. Or you, you, it's Christmas is made better by music. It is. It, is, it yeah. is. Back to Causley. Back to that so, Causley person. But for me, Christmas is about chimneys. And this is something we've written about <laughs> it is. in the past. And in our show, we talk about this a little bit. We talk about children's letters that were found up chimneys. We, In our book, we have a section where we talk about the invention of Father Christmas. Yep. But one of the things we don't mention is logs. And logs are a very important part of Christmas past. I think we should write. I want to do a dedicated 
podcast on logs. I this think could that be, would be an good. introduction. Everyone, please get in touch and see if you've got any suggestions about, about, your, the about unexpected logs. History if you're of a logs. tree surgeon or you're, some, you're a lumberjack, yeah. Very. I once met a father and brother uh, who were lumberjacks in Alaska, hmm. and they sawed logs in the snow barefoot. They were. It was like you know, it's wow. like these sort of he men from the north. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to write that down now. We're going to do logs. Quite incredible. Anyway, tell me about your Christmas logs. So Christmas logs. There are two types of Christmas logs. There is the ashen faggot. <laughs> uh, and the ashen faggot is a, it's a log that you burn on the fire and it's surrounded by a sort of, I suppose a faggot is a is a sort of bundle of, of sticks and twigs yep. that then light. And I have the most wonderful description of this from Dorset and Somerset in Bentley's magazine in 1847. On Christmas Eve, it is the custom in all the farmhouses of this neighbourhood to burn the ashen faggot. All the labourers and servants are invited and a large fire is heaped up onto the wide hearth. We all sat round the hearth in a circle... The firelight deepening the shadows of the hard-featured mahogany countenances around and setting off the peculiarities of each form, the ashen faggot which lay on the hearth consists of a long, immense log of ash surrounded with smaller branches which are then bound to it with many withies, forming one large bundle. It filled the whole hearth. As it burned, the roaring in the large chimney was tremendous, as the flyer slowly catches and consumes the withies, the sticks fly off and kindle into a sudden blaze, and as each one after the other gives way, all present stand up and shout with might and main, the loving cup of cider is handed round, and each drinks his fill. They then resume their seats, sing songs, and crack jokes till the bursting of another band, and the kindling of a fresh blaze demands renewed shouts and another pull on the side of Fagan. Isn't that a wonderful mm. sort of description of a sort of communal Christmas? Yep, and everything you need. Everything, everything you need. You need the other um, is a Yule log. And that's different. A Yule log is, is different. So it's different from an ashen faggot, which is sort of ash surrounded by, you know, different different branches. The Yule log is a is a Victorian tradition, and it went back even even further than that, sort of 300 years or so ago. And it's the idea that you have a dedicated special Christmas log that you would burn on the fire. And there are various sort of traditions that are associated with this. They come in different sizes. If you think about country houses, they would bring in basically half a tree <laughs> and put it there. And there's one description of a, of a country kitchen and some of the flagstones are broken 
because apparently when they brought the horse and cart in to load <laughs> load the tree trunk onto the fire, this smashed the floor. Okay. Uh, so it so, so it remains. What's interesting about this is the superstitions that survive relating to it. The idea is that you need to burn it until it goes out. So you need to leave it going. Otherwise, it's bad luck. Also, there's tradition that you actually kept part of the log for next year hmm. because that way you protected the house throughout the year from fire and from witchcraft. So it's all about superstition. Yeah. And then you use that to light next year's log. Does that doesn't sound very Christian, does it? It doesn't sound very Christian. No, but that's the no. point. I think that's the point. It's got these these deep roots in, no, in, in but, paganism and, and tradition and rituals. But religion is such a complicated beast. And I think you, you know, traditional doctrinal religious beliefs can sit side by side, can coexist Absolutely. with um, superstitions. Yeah. But being able to kind of look into things like logs really helps you unpick that. It makes the point extremely yes. clear. Yes. Doesn't it? Um, yes. I think we should do splinters as well. I'd love to do splinters. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Would you prefer to have a splinter or shampoo in your eye? Oh, God, that's difficult. It uh, is difficult. I think it's one of the most difficult questions. Depends what kind of splinter. Do you need one or the other? Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it's, it's a complex question. <laughs> I, I would like to. Mm. Being, being a, a historian, I need to unpack <laughs> these kinds of things. It's like, you asked me earlier on when I said, are you ready for Christmas? You said, well, it depends what you mean by ready yeah, I did. for Christmas. Okay, fine. So, the, so we'll, we'll come back to shampoo I think and maybe splinters. shampoo. Because yeah. I don't like splinters. No, I don't like splinters. I don't really either. like shampoo in my eye either. No, okay. I suppose that lighting a fire is also, it's a slightly ritualistic thing. I remember being on my knees in front of the fire, scrunching up paper and putting it in and, you know, making the little pyramid out of... It's a lovely Christmas tradition, isn't it? Yeah. You have a, you've, you've got a real fire here, haven't We've you? We've got a, a wood burner. Wood burner. So that, not that, really. Well, that sort of I want a really happens. massive one. But I never nice. really thought that there were different types of fire that you could yes. have. I like that a lot. And in fact, taking fire out of the house was apparently bad luck hmm. at Christmas. So you couldn't let, for, for that two-week period, you wouldn't let things go out of the house. And there's one tale, I've been reading a lot of folklore for this, and so folklorists capture a lot of sort of old you know, country traditions. And there was one, one example of a neighbour who went round to try and borrow some fire, yeah. because he hadn't got any fire at home, before matches, needed to borrow some fire, and was refused because the denied the fire. Denied the fire. Wow. And in fact, to ask for the fire was to insult the person whose house he went to. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. I wonder where that came from. That's um, Yes. That is extraordinary. I like this whole indoor-outdoor thing, and that's what it was Ooh. made me think about this. Ooh. So I was watching a early version of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. And One of my favourite I was Christmas also... Pootling around the streets of Topsham the other night. Again, James and I seem to spend a great deal of our time in Topsham, even though we don't live there. <laughs> little, a little village on the Exestry. Beautiful. And this time of year, it, it becomes quite magical. And you've got a lot of Georgian and Victorian sash windows on narrow little streets. And I was there on a particularly cold night, and you could see the difference in the weather between the outside and the inside. Bear with me, but it's all to do with peeking in. It made me think that history was really linked to something that we've talked about recently, which is privacy. Mm. And if you think about the Christmas Carol, and you've got Scrooge himself being taken around, actually peering into windows Lovely. and going into Lovely. houses, and he's, yes. he's, he's sort of breaking down barriers between privacy. Some people are having a private moment, and he, he looks in on it. And there's something about that in Christmas, which I think is 
absolutely fascinating. It almost gives you a, a kind of a license to snoop. And I, I, Christmas is a license to snoop. I love that. I, I admitted, I, I freely admit, I, did, I peeked in a couple of windows, and there were those little kind of square windows with a kind of like a joke frosted kind of oh, crescent moon it. at the yes. bottom, like it had come out of a, of a scene from Charles Dickens. I, mean, I wanted to come back to this quickly anyway, and just read out a couple of bits from the Christmas Carol, which was written in 1843. Now, I think this whole idea about windows and snooping and peeking in is also to do with envy. Hmm. Uh, which is a theme that's really explored in A Christmas Carol. And to understand it, I think you need to realise that Dickens was born into a lower middle-class family, sank into hardship. Dickens himself was forced to work in a boot-blacking factory at a young age before he ever became you know, this well-known author. Before that, he was a journalist. He was essentially, a, his, his life was committed to child labour. He worked with other child labourers and he was a child labourer. And um, the sort of visible discomfort of the working classes in the 1843s is something that he returns to again and again and again. What but Privation, what people have, what people yep. don't have. Yep. And it's all done through the medium of looking through windows and, and, and peeking in. Lovely. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighbouring offices like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. To see the dingy cloud come drooping down, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. That's how Dickens sets the scenes. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But that tees you up. A gloom is really important. I mean, I've just been writing about darkness in World War II mm. and what happens during the blackout. And I think we'll do a dedicated podcast on darkness and gloom. I mean, that, that, that those sort of gloomy sides contrast with... It's a book I know quite well and I read it every year, mm -hmm. Christmas Carol. And it's contrasted with some of the sort of brighter scenes. Yeah. So the Fezziwig's um, feast, for example, when the, the employer of a young Scrooge, you know, gets them all sort of, you know, to shut away, and then they have this wonderful sort of feast. Also, the um, when you meet the ghost of Christmas past for the first time, you know, the man is surrounded by opulent Christmas. Or when Scrooge goes to his nephews on Christmas Day. And, and takes up the invite that, you know, you've got the sort of glow of Christmas there. And then at the end, when you see Tiny Tim and everyone, they are doing their best to make the most out of the, of what they have. Yeah. There's a lovely sequence where he goes to see where some miners live. Oh, yes. yeah. A place where miners live who labour in the bowels of the earth, returned the spirit. But they know me, see. And he goes on to describe this scene of... Oh, that was fascinating. A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled around a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman, with their children and their children's children, and another generation beyond that, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely as they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigour sank again. 
comes back to what you were talking about, about the singing, the singing along as well and the yes. joy. But it's something I think I wanted to talk about it particularly because it was something that I noticed when I was in Topsham, and I think you'll all notice this. If you're out and about on the streets in the dark on your own, sort of transport yourself back to 1843 and Dickens writing this book. And please take my permission to peek into some houses. I think you're allowed to do it. I think snoop. you're allowed to do You're allowed snoop to snoop. Charter. To snoop. Christmas is a snooper's charter. And it's all to do with the history of windows and looking, which I love about it. Excellent. Well, I think that's end of part one, don't you? Yes, that's the end of our Christmas special part one. So, James, where have we gone? What have we talked about? Well, we've talked about logs. Yes. We've talked about singing. We've talked about snooping and windows. We've talked about the changes of Christmas past. Yep. We've talked about being ready for Christmas. We have, haven't you? There was one. I, I need to share this before we go. Okay. This is an annoying Christmas person. Two weeks ago, I was picking my daughter up my youngest daughter up from, from somewhere or other. And this mother was there and she was talking to her obviously harassed friend. And she said to her friend, you know, have you um, done done much Christmas shopping yet? And the friend sort of replied, oh God, no, I'm so busy. And they said, oh, I'm taking my wheelie bin, my, my wee, wheelie suitcase into town tomorrow to finish it. Uh, and, then, and the woman's face was like, oh my God. So the next week we turn up, she says exactly the same thing you know, to the woman and, and sort of says how, how brilliant she is and, you know, how she's pr- so prepared for Christmas. And and I'm almost done with wrapping everything as well. And this <laughs> poor woman, <laughs> I just looked at her. Anyway, that's, that's uh, an Chris- aside. I Christmas, needed to get that out. The Christmas, Christmas the one-upmanship of Christmas preparations. Oh, God. Well, anyway, I'll tell you what, this has made me think dramatically differently about Christmas tonight. That's the point of what we're doing. I yes. hope it has changed the way you all think about the present and the past and about Christmas. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really, really helps. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at UnexpectedPod. You can also follow us on historiesoftheunexpected.com. Yeah, all of our news of live shows and books and everything is on there. And we're very proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows. And that's it. We're going to come back with part two of Christmas. Bye. Bye. Bye.